She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and today we are back with another very interesting episode on our series, Women They Called Witches. If this is your very first time listening, or if you haven't listened for a while, we have been working our way through a series on witches and the women that were called witches, because As we well know on this podcast, the atrocities in history that are known as the witch trials had nothing to do with the Wiccan religion, which many self-identifying witches today subscribe to. Um, And in this series, we've been digging into some of the most famous women who were accused, found guilty, and killed for being witches. It's a journey that has taken us through the most famous periods of witchcraft persecution, including the Salem witch trials. Then one of the oldest accused witches documented in 4th century Alexandria, Hypatia. Then we looked at the great Scottish witch trials and Beatrix Leslie of Dalkeith. And then the Danish witch trials and Anna Coldings. All of these episodes have been super interesting because one of the things I and we listeners together, one of the things we are discovering is that while there are some shared similarities between all of these different witch trial periods, each of them is also very different. In fact, I I kid you not, I was at a gathering this past week with a regular group of people that I hang out with. And there was this new girl at the table, very cool chick. And when the host introduced us, he mentioned my podcast and how we were just doing a series on witches. And this new gal really excitedly rattled off a list of generalizations about the witch trials, including who it was that was targeted and why. And most of the factoids that she rattled off were simply not true. (laughs) And we know this because of all of the research that we have been digging into on this podcast. Uh, And for the record, everybody who knows me will know that I really, really wanted to respond with a big lecture uh, and a rant against her about all the things she got wrong. And I did not do that. I behaved myself very well. So everyone should be proud of me. Um, But anyway, the whole experience really got me thinking about all of these half truths that are floating out there about the witch trials. And before I dig into today's very intense broad, I feel like it's worth taking a second with you all to more deeply explore some of the assumptions and what we've learned the past couple months in this series. Sometimes I know I get so wrapped up in all of the facts and the storytelling of each broad that we don't get to review some of the major takeaways. So I think that it's... A great time to share some thoughts on that. This is a great moment in the series before I bring this series to a bit of a pause. 
So first of all, I think there's a really common assumption by most people that the witch trials were highly concentrated in just a couple of places over a very short period of time. And we know that this is not true. It's kind of, I think it actually is kind of a weird American assumption. Like it was Salem and England and that was it, but no. Yes, the most famous ones to us, to Americans, the most famous witch trials were in the UK, which then spilled over to the British colonies in America. But there are instances of witch trials occurring all across the world, including Asia and South America. We haven't covered any witches yet in those areas, but they happen. I've seen the articles on them. And those witch trials are even happening today. There are a lot of cases still right now in India for example, where there are still active witch trials going on and people are trying to figure out how to bring those to a close and to end those from happening. Not very successfully so far. The second assumption that I have heard about witch trials is that all of the accused witches were old women. And that is also false. It's true on average that many more women were accused than men. In some trials, it was as much as 80% of the people accused and killed were women, but men were accused too. Uh, and not all of the women were old. And there's this, this common thread that we've seen in the trials that midwives were frequently amongst the accused, as well as widowers and some wealthy older women. Unnatural, a woman with money, oh heavens. Um, but homeless vagrants and poor beggars and generally speaking, people who were deemed societal nuisances were easy targets for witchcraft accusations. And it wasn't just being poor. In some instances, even the local nobility, the landowners, they would be accused too, sometimes by the people that worked for them. And sometimes their power and influence would get them out of it, but also it didn't. There's a ton of little instances within all of these stories of this dude writing to a local magistrate to try to get his wife off of the hook only to find himself amongst the accused and burned just like a week later. I haven't told any of those stories because I'm not focusing on the dudes, obviously, on this podcast. There's also another assumption that I want to touch on, and that's that all of the witch trials were more or less caused by the same series of events, the exact same series of events. Um, and specifically, a lot of people think it was the publication of the Malleus Maleficarum in 1487 in Germany, and then the Witchcraft Act of 1563 by Queen Elizabeth. And it's true that those two highly circulated witchcraft propaganda had a major impact, but... As we've seen in every single one of these time periods that we've looked at so far, they each had their very own specific tinderbox of events that set off their specific witch craze. In the case of Salem, it was primarily this long-simmering land rivalry and increasing economic disparity between them, someone getting poorer when they used to be richer, etc., um, and then in Denmark, you had that religious fervor of King James I of England and King James IV of Scotland, um, his upbringing, and literally a Danish minister of finance who didn't want to have to take the blame for equipping the royal fleet poorly. 
So of course it was witches that did it. <sighs> and uh, in Scotland, we had decades of economic downturn and a really backed up court system from decades of English control over the courts. And then someone had to be blamed for all of the economic hardships they were suffering. And in the case of both Denmark and Scotland, they were also very heavily inspired into witchcraft by what was going on over in Germany. So all these witch trials were already happening heavily in Germany. And then witchcraft, it seemed, was a really easy solution or easy go-to as they were struggling with their own issues, right? But speaking of Germany, that is a great segue to today's broad. She was a broad in the 16th century Germany. And this time period and the witch trials just barely predate all of that King James nonsense. But in fact, these witch trials in Germany were widely believed to have been at least partially influencing King James' obsession over witches. So we can thank Germany for King James's obsession. So there is a lot to be said about Germany's witch trials. Not unlike Scotland, Germany, unfortunately, was home to not one, not two, not three, but four majorly documented witch trials. The majority of which, oh, this is a quote, the majority of witch trials took place in the German-speaking territories of the Holy Roman Empire. At least a third of the estimated individuals accused of witchcraft in Europe were derived from German-speaking lands. This equated to between 30,000 and 40,000 executions within the Germanic region. End quote. Yes, you did hear that correctly. 30 to 45,000 people were killed, executed in Germanic lands in this time period. I am not going to lie to you guys. I started research on all four of those major German witch trials to give us some background like I did for all of the other ones. And I actually got a little too overwhelmed <laughs> with all of the info. It was more than I had frankly anticipated and it was more than I had the capacity to read and process into a digestible format for the podcast capacity. I usually turn these episodes around in just a week, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to take me months to go through all this German research. So I made a game time decision to not get into the weeds with you about all of the full-blown German witch trials. We are going to do that another time and another episode. So today, I'm just going to tell you a couple relevant factoids about the German tinderbox of our broad, Valperga Hausmannin. Valperga was likely born in the first third of the 1500s in Dillingen under Donau, Bavaria. I say likely because we don't actually know her birthday. All we know is that she was a, quote, elderly widow at the time of her witch trial and execution in 1587. And we also do know that she was first widowed around 1556. Those are the only things we know about her life. Um, well, the only things we know about the specifics of, of her life. 
And what I have learned uh, about Germany at this time in the research that I did do thus far for the episode is that even more so than all of the other locales that we have been exploring, Germany was a place with arguably the most intense rivalry between Catholics and Protestants. And the Holy Roman Catholic Church at this point was really digging in its talons, trying to hold on to its control over the region. So while in the other stories that we've explored, the church seemed like more of a backdrop in the trials, um, in Germany, it was literally the Roman Catholic Church that was doggedly pursuing these witchcraft executions. Like it's like very clearly documented in all of the history books that so-and-so bishop executed this many people and so-and-so other bishop executed this many. And it was like the church was the one who was doing it. Um, this is also Germany, uh, in German history, they at this point have been long suffering from plagues, the back plague, Black Plague was only a couple hundred years prior, and disease and famine was virulent. One article I was talking about talked specifically about how syphilis was virulent at this time period. And amongst the many great gifts that syphilis bestows upon its victims, infertility and fetus and infant mortality are some of the most common side effects. And this particular article also said that something like 45% of syphilitic mothers' babies did not survive. And since the population had been so diminished and decimated by the plague, and then currently the, at this time period, they're in the, the middle of the 30 years' war, and, all, and this famine that was going on, there was a lot of pressure on women to literally deliver babies. So as you can imagine, this was a very difficult time to be, as Valperga Hausmannin was, a midwife. Her husband having died almost 30 years prior, Valperga had risen to be a very respected midwife and healer in her community of Diligen for over 20 years at the time of this story. And the details about her specific case are not very well documented. They, we don't have all these books of the trials like we did in Salem. So there's not much that we know about what exactly went on here, except that one day she is accused of witchcraft. And it began as like a rumor or a gossip or we don't really know, who knows. But then Valperga delivers several stillborn infants in a pretty short period of time. And suddenly, the gossipy rumors become a little bit more than that. And she has started to be suspected by everyone around her. And she is arrested, facing the very serious charges of maleficia for infanticide, destruction of the harvest, and the death of her neighbor's cattle. Any initial questioning by authorities that might have been normal questioning, uh, quickly devolved into very severe torture on poor Valperga. And this prompted her to give the history books one of the most disturbingly detailed confessions in the whole history that we have of witchcraft. 
if you are listening to this episode in earshot of young ears, or if you don't like very gross stuff, then you definitely will want to skip forward right now. This next part is definitely rated X by historians. Okay, here we go. Valperga confesses under torture that back in 1556, not very long after she was widowed, she was working in the cornfields of her neighbor and flirting with one of the other workers. And they made these hot plans to meet up later and get it on. So she, later on that night, is waiting in the barn or wherever they were going to meet up. And this guy is a no-show, but a demon in disguise named Federlin appears. And instead, he tricks her into having sex with him. And the reason she knew he was a demon is because while they are fucking, she felt his cloven hoof cold and hard like a piece of wood. She naturally freaked out and called the name of Jesus. And this devil guy flees, which is further proof of his demon status. But this devil named Federlin appeared again the next night. And while he was ravaging Valperga again, he was promising her security and protection if she pledged herself to him, body and soul. And being an unprotected and terrified widow, I'm sure she did. And they sealed the filthy pact with a toast, drinking wine, and apparently dining on the roasted flesh of an innocent child. After that, even though she protested, she was persuaded to serve the devil in many ways, seeking the destruction of her neighbors and their children and their livelihood. Federlin apparently appeared constantly, forcing her to have sex in public places and giving her an evil ointment to be used against others. She confessed to injuring both animals and people by secretly rubbing this wicked demon salve on the bodies of young mothers and newborn infants while she midwifed them, all of whom died very soon thereafter. She admitted to killing many children during her time as a midwife, infecting them with her villainous medicines and even sucking their blood with other witches and afterwards using their hair and their bones in her diabolical spells. Apparently she killed 40, at least 40 babies. She also, to the horror of the church-obsessed audience, she also smuggled out sacraments and apparently offered them to Federlin to to celebrate with, which apparently horrified her audience even more than the drinking of baby's blood. Says a lot about her audience. So upon this confession, the Archbishop of Augsburg immediately sentences her to death. Her property was all confiscated, and she was imprisoned in the local dungeon to await her day of execution. And this is your last warning if you're squeamish, because of all of the witch executions we've talked about so far, this execution really takes the cake for brutality. These crimes that Valperga committed were so heinous Over 40 counts of infanticide, vampirism, murder, demon sex, all of these were so heinous 
that a plain old drowning or burning at the stake was not enough for the crowds. So they sit her down and tie her up in this rickety cart and they roll her through the streets of the city, parading her around as a confirmed witch before a crowd of this like jeering mass of people. And they make their way to her execution site. But as they do, they stop five times and they mutilate her in five different ways with red hot tongs. First, they are outside the town hall and they stop and they tear her left breast and her right arm. Then later, they tear her right breast and then her left arm. And when the cart finally arrives at her funeral pyre, her left hand is brutally maimed too. But her suffering is not yet over because she also had to be punished specifically for her betrayal of the midwife's oath to heal and protect. 20 years ago, when she first became a midwife, she took an oath and put her right hand on the Bible and she had violated that oath with all of her crimes. And so they cut off her right hand. And then Valperga, who at this point is bloody and disoriented, she is tied to the wooden stake and set on fire for the whole crowd to watch her burn. And even her ash, after the fire was out, uh, her ash was still so reviled that it could not lay on the ground so that it could be potentially used in other plotting by other people. So the executioner shovels up her ashes and dumps them into the closest stream. And that, my friends, is the absolute batshit crazy story of Valperga Haumannin. Quite frankly, I do not know what to make of it. Obviously, this poor woman was tortured into confession, but her confession is so freaking detailed and insane. You know, the, the previous confessions that we heard women did under torture was just naming a few other people and, oh, we were there and, oh, we, yes, we did try to sink the ship, you know, that James's bride was on. This one is so detailed. And historians also are kind of baffled that she would even know so well exactly what to say that would drive her trial judges insane in their religious fervor. Like she knew exactly that stealing the sacraments and giving them to the devil would make them absolutely nuts. But the really specifics, like uh, the evil workings of witchcraft at that time period, as studied by the experts in that time, those specifics were not very well known amongst like the average person. Remember, most people can't read and didn't own books, much less. And in, she is in this like little small, mostly provincial town. So historians kind of have no idea what to make of Valperga, this little old lady, and how she would have gotten all of that really weirdly specific information. And I kid you not, I spent quite a lot of time trying to find more details about this whole event and Valperga's life and anything else that might get us some insight into her and, and what happened here. But everything that I have said here is 
everything that I could find. There's nothing else out there seemingly about Valperga. So that's it. That's Valperga. And that is a very little slice of what went on in the German witch trials. There will be more to come on the German witch trials in the future, but not next week, sometime down the road. Um, I feel like we need to talk about some lighter broads for a bit. Uh, maybe it's just this like absolutely horrific death march they put Valpargo through at the end here, but the witch stories are getting a little bit heavy on the heart. So we are going to pick up more about witches down the road at some point. Um, but for now, we're going to press pause on that series. To learn more about Valperga Hausmanin, to see artist renderings of her and quotes from the story, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, click on over to the About page and read more about me, my bio, photo, links to all my cool stuff, all right there. Are you following Broads You Should Know on social yet? We are on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow.com. If you are a fan of this podcast, then you should help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends or family, or better yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That actually really does help new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you were really fascinated by this episode on Valperga Hauptmann, then I highly recommend you check out a few of our previous broad witches episodes, including the Broads of the Salem Witch Trials, Anna Coldings, the Mother of the Devil, Beatrix Leslie of Dalkeith, and of course, Half-Hanged Mary and the Night Witches. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.